Hi, everybody. I'm here today with Tim Freak, who is a philosopher, modern philosopher extraordinaire. Actually, um, he calls himself a stand-up philosopher, and that's because he's incredibly animated and accessible, author of over 35 books. And I was watching a couple of videos he's released recently that really fascinated me. Uh, one on the subject of kind of the nature of soul and the emergence of soul, and the other one on the nature of the times that created Donald Trump. And I'm going to kind of merge these two together in a conversation. And then hopefully we're going to have a very extended conversation, deep conversation, philosophical conversation on just the nature of the soul in a follow-up um, interview on Gaia TV a little bit later next year. So without further ado, let's go to Tim Freak. And it's wonderful to see you again. Uh, we're just calculating it's been eight or nine years since the last time I interviewed you at the Science and Non-Duality Conference. And, That's um, county. and you're doing good work. You've been doing fine work since then. Some of it tips people upside down. Um, yeah, I hope so. I mean, <laughs> I've just been really just following my own muse, uh, Regina, really just looking at, you know, it's just the journey as it unfolds for me. And it, it hasn't, it's just been, since I last saw you, um, it's just increased the level of, of, um, uh, novelty in the way that I'm approaching things, and and I'm I keep on having to to move with it, just going okay, let's keep going, let's keep going, and this latest phase of my work I think is by far the most exciting of the whole the whole process. Yeah, I've been it's in. wonderful, and and some people will bump up against some edges and some of the things you say as they do with some of the things I say. For and sure, of course. Yeah, this is the intriguing part of the conversation. Um, so first of all, what I wanted to start out with because it's something you said in a recent talk. Um, I think it may have been part of your presentation at Science and Non-Duality, not sure. Um, but you were talking about the fact that the world's religions, by and large, all of them, from Buddhism, doesn't matter, Hinduism, Christianity, Judaism, the Islamic faith, doesn't matter. All of them have this one idea that somehow we have fallen here into this poop hole, you used a different word, and we're just trying, the whole goal is to simply try to claw your way out of it. I'm in total disagreement with that concept, as are you. So let's pick it up at, at that point um, for this conversation, okay? Yeah, well, I, I think it's a really important one. You see, I'm, I'm my, my, a lot of my work has been about going into these spiritual traditions and finding this perennial message about waking up to oneness, the experience of love that comes from that. It's a very positive message. And it's one that I'm uh, wanting to keep alive and to not let it get lost under the weight of scientific advance, which takes attention away from this perennial spiritual message. However, I also think that spirituality needs to evolve. I think everything is evolving. So what you see in the ancient traditions is that they lack that concept of evolution. And I think what's happening just today, this is how current these thoughts are for me. Just today, I was thinking about exactly this while I was out walking. And I think the way to understand it is that human beings, the first thing they experienced was this world of soul, the world of the imagination. That, that was an area of consciousness that was obvious to them right away because it's the latest thing that's arisen in the whole process of evolution. So they're conscious of this other domain and they start to explore it. So that spirituality is one of the first things that arrive. What you find straight away is this idea that, oh, 
that the imagination, the world of the psyche, the soul, it's not some tiny little blip as science sees it that just surrounds the brain, kind of a side effect of the brain. It's actually a whole domain of reality which they're experiencing. And it's a domain of reality in which the soul survives life, uh, the death of the body. Now, these are huge ideas that arrive very, very quickly and develop in different forms all over the world. And then later on, you get this even bigger idea that it's possible to experience a shift in consciousness where you realize that your individuality is part of the whole thing, that you are the whole universe, you are the source of the universe. And that's the, the beginnings of the spiritual awakening. Now, I think what's happening is simply this, that once discovering that, they're aware of this, this cycle of coming back into a relationship with the body, and they naturally see it as a fall. So that there's a sense that, oh, this is a mistake this is an illusion, the individuality, the ego is in the way, and that really this is, if we could just get rid of all of this and all of the pleasures that tie it to us and the, and the dreams and aspirations that tie us to life, we could return to this heavenly abode or where, where everything is as we want it to be because it's the world of the imagination. And I think that's a very natural product, but I think it's fundamentally wrong. And I think what's happened since then is that as we've evolved further, we've moved into the scientific age, we've arrived at this incredible understanding that the whole universe has evolved for 13.8 billion years, and I think we can now see that that realm, which the great spiritual traditions have described, has itself evolved, that everything has evolved. Now, this, I think, is a pretty new idea. I actually don't know anyone else who's saying exactly this, apart from myself right now, but I would hope that other people might consider it that that realm of the, the soul realm, the realm of imagination, has evolved in the, the great process of evolution. And that rather than seeing the, this world as a mistake, mm -hmm. actually the vehicle through which this has arisen, and rather than seeing the individual self, what gets dismissed as the ego, as a thing that's in the way, we can start to see that it's the foundation through which the universe wakes up to oneness through the individual. And that gets into a really broad conversation, the bulk of which we'll get into in our next conversation, be it here or with Gaia, which is the nature of soul. And there are so many nuanced areas within this um, that I really look forward to that full conversation. But meanwhile, if we're looking at it from, let's look at it from a developmental point of view, so to speak. I mean, most people start with the notion of the big bang, boom, everything just suddenly in chaos was formed out of chaos, right? Um, now, the the only element of that that I mean, in my own understanding, my own point of view is simply that there are vast intelligences that can create and co-create at massive levels, and we're a reflection of that, and we're part of that as well. So, if we start with that, let's just look at the big all that is chaos. Eventually coming into what you call subject and object. Talk about that for a minute to give people a framework of how this process of individuated consciousness and matter come to exist. Well, I think that the, the process of evolution is one that has gone from matter to life to this experience we're having of soul, of imagination, psyche. That's the latest thing. And that whole process has been one in which well, there's a great line. I, I use it because I love it so much. And, and it's from Professor Brian Swim, the, the yes. biologist, mm -hmm. who said at some point something like, um, yes, what we've learned is if you take hydrogen, which was pretty much all the universe was at the beginning, 
if you take hydrogen and you wait long enough, it learns to sing opera, which I love because it captures the grandeur of this story. It's it, what the story's saying really is the universe arrived as hydrogen and a bit of helium. And then 13.8 billion years later, there's you and me having a philosophical conversation about the nature of the universe. That's incredible. And that whole process has been one of individuating the qualities of existence. You know, one hydrogen atom is pretty much like another. But you and I are significantly independent. We're different. Other species, life, different chemicals, everything is individuated into separate streams. And as, it, as that happens, what you get is the individual in relationship to the whole. That's what you and I are as well. Everything is an individual in relationship to the whole. And that gives you this fundamental subjectivity and objectivity, because objectivity is the whole, and subjectivity is you in relationship with it. And here, here I am, this is my subjective experience of the whole, and, and you're the same. But it's also true for an atom or uh, you know, a, a plant or everything's in relationship with the whole and, and therefore having not an experience necessary because it's, it's, uh, it's not conscious on every level, but it's having a, um, it, it, is, it is discriminating its environment. To begin with, that's electrochemical. And then when you reach life, that becomes biological and then sentient. You have, you're discriminating it with the senses and then finally, when it arrives at the psyche, the soul, the imagination, it discriminates it with ideas. And, and we're doing it on all of those levels right now. So it's always object and subject all the way through. And we tend to see evolution as just objects evolving. But mm -hmm. actually, at the same time, it's, a sub, it's subjectivity evolving. And that will turn into this incredible experience you and I are having of being conscious. And all of it is swimming in a field of potential. As you say, the field of potential precedes all of it, right? Well, one thing that really strikes me is that if you, there's very little you can say maybe about the, where the universe has come from, apart from, well, it's the potentiality for the universe, because it's come from it. And there's a sense in which I think that potentiality is, is always here. Like every, every single moment realizes a new potentiality that no two moments are ever the same, and, and, and they can't repeat. Even if they did repeat, they, one would contain the other because the other one had happened before. So it's always fresh. So my working uh, definition of what reality is as a philosopher is, is that reality is the realization of potentiality in ever more emergent ways, mm -hmm. which means simply that, look, What's happened for 13.8 billion years is that new potentialities have been realized. But as one is realized, it allows something greater to happen, something more emergent to happen. You know, you can't have life until you've got matter. You can't have consciousness until you've got life. But this movement into ever more emergent potentials, and I think you and I and everyone else are on the, on the leading edge of that. We're doing that right now. We're, we're manifesting more and more emergent potentials. 
I agree. And when we get into our our next conversation, we can get into the notion, because we can all debate till the cows come home, the notion of uh, logos, prima materia, how this comes together within the field of potential to begin expressing itself. But for sure, we can all agree that that field contains potential. It is potential to be expressed one way or another, whether it's in spirit, whether it's and, and what I love about that is that that's, that's a perfectly coherent scientific idea, and yet it's exactly the same as you'll get, say, in ancient Hinduism and in other mythologies, which is that, or indeed Pythagoreanism, which is that the, the coming together of the formed and the formless. Yes. And there's this potentiality which is formless but can, t- can give birth to all form, and then there's all the forms, the evolving forms, the limit and the limitless. All of these great Taoism is full of the same thing. Yes, for sure. And the one thing that we're now at a point which has been terribly abused um, in the New Age movement, for example, is the notion that all of these things are driven by um, an imaginal experience, mm-hmm. by mind. Um, that mind, uh, however we define it, on a very, very vast multidimensional level down to this, the gray matter, um, mind is driving our creative experience. And one of the things that really bothers me about the notion you talked about at the very beginning, which is we're spirit, we dropped into this place, we're being punished, we got to find a way to dig ourselves out of it, is that we're completely missing the potential for expression here now in this dimension in doing so. We're trying to bypass it all the time. Yes, I completely agree. And so, so to me, the, 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 to where I, mostly I work with awakening. Mm-hmm. And, and to, the big transition for me was, was saying to folks, look, it's not awakening by getting rid of the individual. It's actually awakening through the individual. Yes. And for me, the thing which has always been missing from those traditions, which is, is that right from when I was 12, when I first had my first awakening experience, the overwhelming quality of that experience for me was love. And the love is what I think pulls you back into the world. You know, there is a kind of bliss which you can arrive at by just waking up from everything into pure being. But that bliss is love and it pulls you back into this challenge, this drama, this unfolding. And this is the way we realize the potentiality. So f- for me, it, 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 it's about engaging with the human experience. So if anything, you know, my journey has been right back into the humanity. And, and all of this I'm scientific so stuff it. is about underlying that. It's about supporting why that's so important. Okay, Tim. So what I'd like to hear about now, because you just teased us with it, is what happened when you were 12 years old. And then we're going to get back to the overall larger story. <laughs> okay. So when I was 12, um, I experienced what I now call being deep awake, or, or, or which is really waking up to a universal identity behind my individual identity. So I didn't think about it like that. Now that's all completely retrospective. What I remember from the experience itself was this enormous love, like the whole universe is just pulsating with love. And it made a huge impression on me and it set me up for this mad journey I've been on ever since. of trying to make sense of that, go deeper into that because of my nature, share it with others. It's pretty much what I've been doing for the last, 40 something years with it and more than that now and 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 trying to then latterly with this philosophy we've been touching on together is really go okay what is that 
And how can I understand that? And how does that fit with the scientific narrative of the evolving universe? And what I'm so excited about, about what I've developed, is I think I can answer that in an interesting way. I think so, too. So now, let's get to the part of the story where we are living out our potential. Um, we're creating in mass together. Other forces are creating in mass together. Here we are. And now we're going into a place of individuation. And we can, again, that's a chicken or egg thing where we individuated first and came into this. The point is we need to understand ourselves and our consciousness in an individuated way. And let's talk about that part before yeah. we go into where I want to, I really want to get into this mass consciousness that created Donald Trump. Okay. So, so I talked earlier about everything individuating. But it's not just individuating. There's also a process which is its, its polar complementary, which I call unividuating. And a very simple way of getting that is once you've got the individuated existence of, say, uh, hydrogen and oxygen, they can unify into something bigger than themselves, H2O, and you've got water for the first time. And that's a process of unividuating. It's, a, it's becoming, it's transcending and including the, the, the elements within it. Another example would be a multicellular organism like my body. That, that has taken all these single cells and unividuated them into a whole. And the whole is greater than the parts. That's what's so amazing about the whole process. I think that's happening in consciousness now. So that what we're seeing is that human beings, we've gone through this in, this huge journey of, of individuating of it's been a the age of of individualism we're in it it's no doubt about that and by and large it's been a wonderful thing i mean i think it and that individuation which still needs to go on most of us are not individuated enough all of us is about being able to not just be part of a collective so the part of the process of waking up is simply that there's a waking up from and a waking up to I think, and they need to be differentiated, and they're polar opposites, and they go together. And the waking up from is when you question the culture you happen to have been brought up in. And all of us get, all of us come into the world through something. I came in through being born in England in the 20th century, and end of the 20th century, so I'm full of those ideas. And that's my culture. And then at a certain point, I can wake up from that and question it. Now, it doesn't mean I reject it. I may question it and accept it. But in the questioning, I'm separate from it. If I don't, I'm just immersed in it. And, and you look around the world and look at the, the millions of people who just think, yes, luckily I was born into the truth and I will die fighting for Catholicism, Islam, whatever the thing they happen to be born into. I and mean, it's just chance they happen to be born there. But they think then they haven't individuated from it. And that's what we need to do. Having done that, we become a lot more conscious because we're thinking for ourselves. And then what do we wake up to? And the deepest waking up to, I think, is waking up to the fact that behind all the individuality, there's one of us. The universe is one thing. In that sense, the old message is we're all God. It's all one thing. And that spiritual awakening, I call unividuating into something greater than ourselves. So that what I, what I, the journey I think we're on right now in spirituality is to become unividuals to move from individuals to individuals who are conscious of the unity that underlies the individuality. So we're still individuals. In fact, we're more individual than ever, 
But through that individuality, we're finding a unity. And that, and that feels like love. Yes. Okay. This is interesting because it's bringing me to something. I just did a little commentary on a bit ago, and it had to do with a, a stat that came out uh, in the green room at Guy with someone I interviewed, a man named uh, Randy Weidenheimer, who is um, a shamanic healer. And he's a big devotee of, of David, uh, David Hawkins' work, the universal calibration method that he uses for consciousness. And one thing he said in there, which points exactly to what you're just talking about, is that he... Randy's work, by the way, validates what he read in Power Versus Force, David Hawkins' work, when he stated that 85% of people on this planet are only inhabiting their true authentic selves to the extent of 2% of what they consider to be their reality, what they perceive to be their reality. The rest is all exterior programming. How does that fit with your understanding? Yeah, I mean, I think... I, I have no idea about the percentages and, I, and personally I have I no idea how, you, how you'd really care. But, but my sense is, look, there is no doubt about it that people are unividuating. And the evidence for that is there has never been a time ever throughout the whole of history where so many people have cared for other human beings in countries they will never visit, in conflicts that have nothing to do with them. There's a sense that we're one humanity arising, and it's, it's very widespread now. Behind that, there's never been a time ever where human beings have felt such connection with the natural world that they care about polar bears, who would tear them to shreds if they could, but they care about them. Right. Or tigers or microbes or uh, because there's a and then behind that without any shadow of a doubt also from my this anecdotal experience more and more people are, are touching this what i call the deep awake state the individuating into oneness so one and two at the same time individual and universal and it's not big numbers but it is well, happening. i think i think that's what we're talking about it's not big numbers but no it's, it's not it's not to a greater extent than it ever has. And but the first two are big numbers. The yeah, first two, you know, is, is the wave is coming through. Yeah, definitely. And I think that is the future trend. What he was stating is that we may be even doing and participating in all these things, but we may not be doing it oftentimes from authentically who we are, but more the programming coming in and kind of what's being mirrored back to us. And I bring that up. Okay, okay. Can yeah. I say something about that really? So what worries me about that, mm-hmm. I mean, I think I can see the truth of it. Mm-hmm. What worries me about it, and I, and I don't want to put thoughts in whoever what it was you're talking to of mine because I obviously don't know what they were saying. What worries me about the idea of the authentic being is it, the, the concept generally comes from the same mythos of the fall that we were mm-hmm. disparaging earlier. It, the, the mythos of the fall goes, you ha- you're already perfect. You're already this authentic thing, and then you fell, and you got entrapped in the world and conditioned, and you lost your real self. And if you could just get back to your real self, it'd all be perfect. What the emergent view says is you are creating your real self. You're evolving into that. You come, like everything, from a less emergent state. So you come from conditioning. Of course you do. But from that, you can reach out and create yourself as as something free and authentic, something which is has an individuality and then a unividuality to it. So it's not. It's really like, whoa. Okay, so we've evolved. If those figures 
are remotely right. I have no reason to believe they are. But if they are, then, you know, we've reached 2% of that, perhaps. Oh, great. But that's something we're moving to. And the authenticity is something we have to work for and, and evolve into. I agree with that. I would add another layer is uh, to this too. And that is in very, very modern times, in the last 30 to 40 years, when we've had the emergence of media, mass media of all kinds, whether it's billboards, then to the radio, to the television, now to all the computer technologies and devices inundating us, that we've probably become even less authentic as a result of the override of this programming imprinting itself on us than we might have been even earlier. So it's kind of a little... We don't need to even debate that. It's kind of a double-edged... Maybe. It's hard to say. Consciousness <laughs> rising at the same time and individuating, which I totally agree with you on. So now let's look at what happens when you individuate without that other... Without individuating. Part. Yes. My, my the story of Trump. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was doing some thinking as the whole world has been, I'm sure, as to what the hell is happening uh, across the world, actually. Certainly in Europe, it's the same in a different way, but it is some fundamentally the same. And then this incredible phenomena of Donald Trump in, in the USA. And what strikes me, I mean, it's, a, it's many, many other um, uh, people involved in psychology have pointed out and I th- and uh, uh, that the, it appears that the president has a problem with narcissism. And what narcissism means, you know, it's easy to throw insults, and it's, you know, I don't mean it as, a, as an insult. I mean it as an actual... As a diagnosis. As, as an observation. A diagnosis may be, and a, certainly an observation, which goes, yeah. ah, there, here is a human being, here is an incredible human being, actually. That's the first thing I want to say. This, this man has, especially in the last period of his life, has done incredible things. He's made himself president of the United States. That, that you know, that, that is no mean feat. <laughs> and, and he is very individual in his way of being, his way of thinking. He's walked into a political realm and go, no, I do it like this. And he just has. And so what you see is a very high level of individuality. And you see it in its pathological form that everything's about him. So a meeting with a foreign diplomat is about how much he likes them or he likes, they like him or everything is about how it reflects back on him. And that's narcissism. And what that shows me, I suspect is that here is somebody who has really followed through the level of individuation in a way, you know, in, in the sense that he has become very much himself and he's able to not just go along with the collective, which says, for instance, you shouldn't tell lies because he is, He's thinking, well, why not? Why not? And he's able to see that and use that for his own advantage. It makes, you know, it's, it's pathological. But it, what he's missing is that for most of us, there is a movement also towards individuating. That as we become free from the baggage of our collective unconscious, we reach towards something greater than ourselves. And that, that leads to this depth of empathy and this sense of connection and ultimately to being a, a full individual, someone who is aware of the oneness of the universe. And what I, what I think we're suffering from now, and what you said was so beautifully beginning, was it's almost like, ah, the culture has thrown up exactly the thing we need to leave behind. It, it's thrown up individualism gone mad. We're at a time when it's okay, we still need individualism, it's a good thing, but we really need this other pole. We need individualism 
to come through as well. And what I what he seems to completely lack is that is that quality. And we're getting it shown to us starkly. And and of course, the other thing which you see from it is division, because individualism is a, individuality is about finding commonality, reaching across the divides, kindness, finding where we can reach a place of oneness behind the separateness. Whereas what Donald Trump has done has been to focus on how to raise power by creating division. You're, you're, you know, you're around all sorts of things, but, but, but a fear, especially it's like, uh, identity. In fact, in fact, if I, I think also, you know, just as an aside, just to balance it out, just so I don't seem like I'm just attacking Donald Trump. I also see that same, um, division through identity arising on what is traditionally called the the left with identity politics where it all becomes about identity again yes. and it's like no that's what's that that's important but we need to have this thing which transcends it otherwise we just get constantly caught up in more and more division yes and one of the points you illustrated was that it shows in the way Donald Trump views the environment for example um, where the larger movement of individuation is we see this as a whole system, a holistic system, and we're part of that system where the narcissistic framework, the highly individuated without univision, sees it as something to use. And yes. so even in policy, the changes that have happened under Trump, which is basically turning the clock way back to simply exploiting the planet for whatever he and his compadres can get out of it. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, so, so what you've got really, I think is a, is a, if you took the, the wider scope of the evolution of society, people like in fact, John Gebster, who I was looking at today, he was a great philosopher who talked about us needing to move into a, an integral age. Mm-hmm. And I think with what you can see is that we've, there's this pre-modern age in which you have all of this wonderful spiritual traditions develop. Then the modern age arrives, and then it's about progress and science and technology, and and that's been great. And and Donald Trump is still very much in that. And then there's the postmodern age, which has been the criticism of that, which is the identity politics and all of the stuff which has arisen in opposition to it. But all of it needs to come to an integral realization, which is look, we need to find the best in all of this and then hold it within a greater vision which unifies it. And what I'm trying to do with my philosophy of individualism is present a way of unifying all of those different strands, with that, which, which keeps the bit that's really of value and lets go of the bit that's problematic. And what we're seeing with Trump, I think, is a pullback into unresolved problems. So you even said it's a result not only in narcissism, but a type of predation. And you used that word. I did use that word. I think there is something about the, the, uh, the individual which isn't awake to the collective is predatory. And in, you see that in, in, in crime, you know right. that you know. I if I'm if I'm a very you know if I'm aware of myself, I'm very you know that's ego in this negative sense. It's when it goes, look, it's just me. So if I can get one over on you, I will, because that's in my advantage. It's you know, and me is me, my family, my tribe, my ideology, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what you can see with Donald Trump. It's like it's me. 
at the center and then literally in the white house his family <laughs> it's like like watching a don it's funny his name is don i think because it's like like watching a mafia don okay. you know it's just so it's just the synchronicity is just hilarious if it wasn't so serious uh, you know with the family and it's like kiss the ring or you know you, you'll be out of the white house and you've got this this and and it and there is something which is dangerously predatory about that um, and I think the background with his his the university he set up, his dealings in property are, are all about the predatory side of capitalism. It, there's a good side too, but that's the predatory side, and it comes from that. Ah, oh, yes, and you know it start and it's having its influence on the masses. Now the masses put him there, um, not getting into any kind of you know voter fraud issues or anything, but basically we collectively put him in in this yeah. position. Because he is a reflection of where we are collectively in our own consciousness to a majority extent, at least at that point in time. So what happened recently as an effect of that is there was an article in, um, in the news recently where a man got on board, um, a man on board a Southwest airline flight was grabbing the breasts of one of the flight attendants. And so he was really obnoxious. By the time they landed, he was picked up by the security forces there. He said, hey, Donald Trump says it's okay. He does it. Okay, now that's the extension of what that predatory behavior is teaching um, the masses. Yes. Def yeah, exactly. And, 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 and that's why it's so dangerous. It is. What, we, what, we, what concerns me when I look at it is what's happening to the alternative because what worries me is that what i want to see is a clear individual in my language message which overcomes these divisions what i see is the growth of an intolerant politically correct is the term that gets thrown around but that 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 doctrinaire division of oppressor and oppressed you're this color i'm this color you're that sex i'm this sex. A, a, a a watering down of the sense of of the, the kind of a, a, a there's been mobs developing on both sides that's how it's looked to me there's a there's one mob here which is going you know people are guilty before they you've known anything about it and you've got another th saying the same thing on this side and and that worries me so what i want what i would like to see happen is that those of us that have that sensibility coming in with a real alternative which is about re understanding each other fundamentally and drawing out what's right and good in every perspective okay uh, yes i agree with you on that and just to kind of exemplify where it's gone in terms of the predatory theme because this is alarming and this has to be we have to start paying attention to what's really going on this is, general sense of mass anxiety is one thing we've all been feeling the world is feeling like a less safe place and i think that's across the board probably globally if anyone's dialed into the global arena but even in the last few days crazy things um one of my friends called and she was so upset because her nephew had just died of an overdose. She called again this morning. That was two days ago. She called again this morning. Another one um, of a mutual friend of ours who took in a young kid um, through the years under a big brother type of program and fostered him for years and years back 
uh, back on the streets. He was just murdered. My nephew, four days ago, who's just a clean-cut guy bopping around with his girlfriend on Halloween, was um, beaten up by a couple of thugs. His girlfriend was punched in the face, too. Now, the, and, and another friend, their son said that the biggest problem is that they don't feel hope anymore in his age group. These are all millennials. And uh, he has two friends that have committed suicide. This is close up. This is in my immediate sphere. And it's happening everywhere where the millennial generation who is less judgmental and biased about differences because they were the ones who've really been there when the whole age of um, gay rights, for example, has come in. Transgender has come forward. I just saw a banner last night that said, Black Trans Lives Matter. And now we're getting really specific <laughs> identities and such. All of this is happening for the millennials who say, this is this is what we feel our gift is, is we've learned the, we, we give the gift of tolerance in the acceptance of each other, but they're also completely lost because they're not seeing this individuation part of the story as a, as a generation by and large. Now, granted, there's some great lit up young people out there who do understand and who are working for causes, but by and large, it's getting desperate among that generation. Well, yeah, that's very distressing to hear. Um, my, you know, my, one of the things for me about the 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 the, the I, as a philosopher is is exactly what you're saying is that it feels like ah we've reached a point where we don't have this hope because we don't have a story we're telling which has hope in it. Yeah. And what I love about the evolutionary story is it's full of hope. And someone came to my in fact two or three people just recently in America and in England after the retreat, contact me to just say exactly that word. I, not a word I particularly had used much, but it went, it gave me hope because you just see what's possible and you just see how far we've come. And what we've got at the moment is not that message. What we've got at the message, I think, is the, you've got this strange thing where, where uh, Western culture itself is, is being criticized to, to a large degree, sometimes warranted, sometimes not. Um, it, we, we've met, we've mixed in the good and the bad. So the whole thing is seen as either great or terrible. Whereas actually, of course, it's a mixture. Um, the tolerance of each other, which was very much part of my lifetime, seeing it grow. And I love the fact that it's been taken even further has bizarrely turned into an intolerance where if you want to come out and say something, which people don't like, it's harder now than it seems for that generation. Mm -hmm. And yet, when I look at that generation, my, my daughter is 18, my son is 23, and they're incredible. And I look at their, their friends, just yeah. extraordinary, the level of connection and intelligence which they have. Yeah. So there is, I think, actually, you know, there's massive reasons for hope. I mean, just, just, just today, reading about the levels of poverty coming down so dramatically across the world, even the, the number of trees, the biomass um, being much larger than we thought, it now turns out from a, some research done by scientists in various countries. So there's huge amounts of things to be optimistic about, and it's all getting weighed down under this reactionary element, which is kind of pulling us back at the moment. And yeah. I think it's because it surprised us. But the, you know, the other thing I have to remember as well, you know, we're both 
you know, not as young as we were. And one of the good things about that is I, I have to stop myself when I get upset about what, what's happening with, with Donald Trump. And remember, as of yet, God knows what could happen, but as of yet, he hasn't launched a massive disastrous war like the one in the Middle East. He had, you know, there's, he's not like Ronald Reagan setting up dictators in Chile. None of that has happened. These were, these were terrible times, which I've lived through, and now is not actually as bad in some ways. It's more like instead of, instead of warring with them, he's becoming friends with them. So yes, but that's always, been, that's always been true also, hasn't it? I mean, you've only got to think, in, you know, when I was in my 20s, America was friends with dictators all over the world. Oh, oh my God. If it, uh, for those who haven't checked into how that arrangement works, uh, there's a book called um, uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman by John Perkins, which kind of tells how the, how the U.S. Yeah. Um, sets these situations up globally. It's it's a fascinating book. It's kind of the underbelly is of how certain power structures globally have occurred. So that's just a little background. And I think it's what I think it's what happens is that when we we when we think we've left something behind, when it comes back, it seems doubly offensive. Yes. You know, it's a little, t- I mean, quite a different thought in a way, but when I was thinking about morality and evolution in my book, Soul Story, I thought, you know, it's an interesting quirk, isn't it? Because if Adolf Hitler, who is, you know, regarded as an epitome, you know, he's the evil man, isn't he? He's evil, and he was. Um, but if he'd lived 2,000 years previously, he'd probably be Adolf the Great, like yeah. Alexander the Great or Charlemagne the Great. It's just that in the 20th century, we'd left that behind. And I think... What's happening with Donald Trump is partly that. It's like, oh, we don't talk like that to women anymore. We don't act in the economy like that anymore. We don't just go, it's about our self-interest in that gross way anymore. We did most of history. (laughs) But there's a desire to have left it behind. And then there's a whole... um, But I think there's a whole group in society who feel under attack and see him... You know, I've spent a lot of time recently sitting with what's happening with Donald Trump and others to really get why when I look at him, I go, whoa, but when they look at him, they go, yeah. And I want to try and get what they see to understand that they're seeing someone who is, who is going to address a wrong, who is going to save them from something. I see this too. Obviously, in the United States, it's very divided on this. And I have said all along, I think that Trump's emergence here um, on the political scene was necessary because the system that was in place before isn't working well. Um, Doesn't mean he's an improvement on it. It means he's simply showing everything for the flaws inherent within it, including the system itself. And so, you know, if you've come to destroy something, that's a valid role if it's time for destruction, just like the cells in our body, they're given birth to, and then they die, then they're given birth to again. And our system, our system in the United States, our psyche has become, as you say, so individuated in an unhealthy way that where we're looking at what's in it for us, we're reacting out of fear. And the people that support him are generally reacting out of fear, feeling that, what they had been entitled to and expected and become accustomed to had somehow has somehow been lost or left behind, picking up on your riff of things being left behind, and that somehow Donald Trump would restore these things to them. And so yes. that's- and, and, and there's a real problem. It's like, 
I absolutely get. I've been, you know, was involved in it when I was younger, very much myself as well. I mean, I lived through a whole wave of feminism, for example, and, you know, God knows, went through all sorts to, to um, you know, to move with that. For all of my generation of men and women, it was quite something. And, and it was good. My God, it was good. At the end of the day, hurrah, here we are, you and I, for instance, being able to talk, you know, in this way. I mean, that was, this is unprecedented in history. How, how marvelous is that? And as well, it can set up an unnecessary division. And so that when, when, I, when I see people attacking uh, white men, or, and it's like, it's, and it's suddenly, it's like, you know, or, or phrases like white privilege or these, I, they feel divisive and they feel like, well, that there's something trying to be expressed and that's a value. And then there's something which is really about that identity that separates because, and it just needs, it just often, it just needs the word some introduced. Right. So huge generalizations. It's like some men are abusive to women. Exactly. But, exactly. But, Actually, not most, a small, small group, actually. Small and it's group. That, but if you don't add that extra word, there's a, there's a whole sex that feel like I'm under attack here. And, and so what happens, I think, is that there's people who have given what they've, as much as they can. And, you know, most people are doing their best for their families and their, you know, to contribute and keep their head above water in difficult circumstances see an onslaught of attack from what seems to be progress- progressive elements so that they don't feel, they feel like they're not, they're not being valued because right. the, the language is you're to blame and they feel like I'm not to blame for anything. I'm just doing the best. Right. <laughs> and that's where I think that reaction comes from. Yeah. And then finally here's somebody who's standing up to that and going, no, we are of value. And it's like, yeah, we are. And I get that because they're feeling undervalued just like the other people over here, whether they're, ethnic groups or sexual groups, they also feel undervalued. This is the problem. I think that's the, it's the problem of this age in the Western countries in particular, where high degrees of this kind of individuation have happened on an identity level without yep. the emergence on the other side of something larger. And yep. as a result, and I've said this before, say what you want, doesn't matter. No one's listening. Everyone's talking and no one's listening. Everyone's trying to have their point of view heard, be seen, but they're not giving the same respect to others. And this is happening in small, innocuous ways among us and just the way we even communicate with each other. So this is endemic to society. So I agree. I'm on the same page of you as you 100%. This larger unividuation thing that's happening is beautiful. Uh, to be able to extend our consciousness once we begin to understand, have a little bit of a sense of what we are into the whole, which is happening in greater numbers than ever, even if it's still somewhat of a small percentage of the mass population at large, the global population at large, it's still huge and it's yes. growing. It's still emerging. And I'm with you on that. And you, we only have a couple minutes left here and we have, you have a project called what is life, right? That you're working on is that what it's called? Uh, yeah, I'm talking to I amazing hear all people. About it. 
Oh, it's uh, it's uh, I'm getting the chance to to go and speak to. Basically, it's a good excuse for me to go and talk philosophy with some very interesting people. I've just in Ian McGilchrist, who's the expert on the two sides of the brain. Uh, Rupert Sheldrake, uh, the expert on morphic resonance, and it's for me for me to say share some of my ideas, get some of their ideas. But really, what it is is to under go underneath the um, thing they're famous for. So rather than like, oh, tell us about your book. It's like, we've been alive. What do you think this is? What do you think this is that we're in? Yeah. What do you think death is? And what should we do about it? And that's a real passion of mine. So I'm, I'm just starting off on a project to connect with other um, people, thinkers I find interesting, and just go and, and say to them, you know, so what do you make of this after being around? You know, we're all heading towards death now. What, what, what was it? What is it? What should we do with it? I absolutely love it. I've seen uh, just a little bit of a trailer. It looks like it's absolutely beautiful. Is it a series of uh, programs? I hope it will be. I mean, we're just starting off now. I've done three and none of them are released as yet, but they will be. If anyone wants to hear about that, they need to sign up on my mailing list from on my website or something like that. And then they'll hear about it when it gets released, which will be soon, I hope. Um, But we're just, we're just framing it to see where it's going to go and and developing it right well, now. from the little bits I've seen so far, so good. I wish you the best on that. Timfreak.com, right? Timfreak.com. Uh, F-R-E-K-E. F-R-E-K-E, <laughs> pronounced freak. Okay. Yeah, uh, what can you do? So, that was about half a conversation for us. So we're going to pick this conversation up either later on my site or later on Gaia TV. So thank you so much, Tim, for joining us from England today. It's dinner time for you. <laughs> Been a real delight. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on reginameredith.com.